We're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 11. Young people, I'm so pleased you're here this morning because uh, you make me feel young, right? So, and uh, you're going to your own youth thing next week, of course, to a new day with thousands of others. That's going to be absolutely brilliant. We're really praying for you as you go to that. So uh, we're reading from Hebrews 11, and these are the verses about Noah. It says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So we're doing this series, we're calling it Not All Heroes Wear Capes. And just in case you don't fully understand what that means, the caped heroes, they're the superhero guys, right? You know, like Batman and Spider-Man and all those other guys who wear funny clothes, they dress up to save the world. And we're talking about these, this long list of people in Hebrews who are men and women of faith. And we're saying not all heroes wear capes. Not all of them are superheroes because actually what we find in Hebrews 11 is they don't fit that category at all. I don't know about you, I, I pretty much hate superhero films. I saw some puzzle faces. Who of you really like sort of all that stuff? And Yeah, that's okay. We can still be friends. That's okay. You know, just never invite me to the cinema with you. I accidentally went to see a superhero film uh, a couple of years ago. I thought it was something else. It had a funny title. And I thought, oh, this will be fun. And then two minutes in, The Incredible Hulk appeared. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> Three hours of him and all his chums. It was really, really awful. But here's the, here's the thing I don't like about superheroes, is that I don't get them. I can't be like them. When I walk past a tall building, I can't suddenly think, you know what, I'm going to climb that. When I get emotional and upset about something, I can't make myself turn green and powerful. I don't drive a Batmobile, I drive a Ford Galaxy. <laughs> and isn't that us? We're just normal people, ordinary people. And what we find in Hebrews 11 is a list of ordinary people, weak human beings like you, and me. And Noah, whose epitaph we read today, we've read, he was an ordinary guy. The very next chapter after you read about his life, you read about him getting drunk and falling out with his family. There's no perfect people in the Bible. God chooses to use the ordinary. Do you believe that? It seems we struggle to believe that. In uh, James chapter 6, if you were to find a character in the Bible you could associate less with, it'd probably be a guy called Elijah. Right? He was a big bearded guy. He was highly prophetic. He was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And he, he could make fire come from heaven and consume a sacrifice in front of the prophets of Baal. When he prayed for it not to rain for three years as a judgment against the king who was disobeying God, it didn't rain for three years. And when he said, Lord, let it rain, it rained again. It, nothing about that story. Have I ever read the story of Elijah and thought, you know what, I totally get this guy. Yet James chapter 6 says this, Elijah was a man just like us. 
So this is what we've been encouraged to believe today. As we read the story of Noah, he's not some kind of super dude who knew something about water and arcs and saving the world. He was somebody who you have a lot in common with. In fact, if you were to chat to Noah about some of the problems you're facing in your life right now, he would nod his head and say, I totally get it. I totally understand your life and the problems you're facing, but believe me, there's a way. And the way is through trusting God and hearing God and obeying God. I wonder how you'd summarize your life or like it to be summarized at the end. 200 characters we just read, shorter than a tweet. Do you know, young people, one day your life will be summarized. And we'd love people to spend hours talking about us, but believe it or not, it can be whittled down to something where somebody will evaluate, well, these, these are the priorities they lived for. These are the things they believed in, and these are the things they did. And again, let's just read that short verse about Noah that summarizes him so well. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. It's a story of trusting, hearing, and doing. Trusting, hearing, and doing. You know, the story of Noah is one of the oldest in the Bible, even by biblical literature standards. In the first, first 11 chapters of Genesis, this is what we call ancient biblical literature. We don't know a, lot of whole about, a whole lot about this period other than what we read in the Bible. And it's this pretty horrific story about the world becoming so evil and the behavior of human beings becoming so violent, so full of hate, so awful, so unkind, that even the God of love looks at it and says, I, I can't, I can't just watch this anymore. I need to stop this. And part of us as Christians is Part of our growing as Christians is to understand this God who we love and worship. And it's very easy to carve God in our own image if we're not careful. But this is something we learn about God in the Bible, that he's the most loving person you could ever know. He's more loving than a friend. He's more loving than the best spouse. He's more loving than anybody, than a parent. Also this, that he is just. He's just. But the Bible says he's slow to anger. So if you were to evaluate God's justice and his judgment in comparison with his love, you'd think, whoa, he's so much more loving than he is keen to judge the world. So that shows you the state of affairs in Noah's day. But we also know this about the story of Noah, that Jesus believed in the story of Noah. He quoted the story of Noah. Jesus believed in the story of Noah, so therefore as a follower of Jesus, I must as well. And this God who we love and worship and who loves us so much is a God who sent his son to the cross to take the punishment for the sin of the world. And the remarkable thing about the story of Noah is the mercy of God on display, that he doesn't just end the Bible at chapter six, but he looks all over the world and he says, I'm gonna save. 
I'm going to save. And he saves a man called Noah and his family. It's a story of mercy. It's a story of hope. It's a story of new life. So let's look at these things then that that, that Noah demonstrates in these verses that faith means trust, faith means hearing, faith means doing. And if you were to look in the Bible at Genesis chapter 6 to 9, that's the original story of Noah, you find these words. It says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So in comparison to everybody else living on the earth at that time, there was a man called Noah who found favor. And it's the very first mention of this word favor in the whole Bible. And it's the word that gets used hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the New Testament. And it's the same word that you would translate grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. That's to say, you you can think there's something special about Noah, that he was just a good guy in a world of bad guys. And that's actually not what the Bible is saying here. You know the old Western films where you get the cowboys in the white hats versus the cowboys in the black hats? And the the white hats are the good guys and the black hats are the bad guys. It's not saying that Noah was a white hat in a land of black hats. It's saying this, that Noah was favored by God. And when it says that Noah walked with God, so we read in the next verse, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons. It tells us about his ordinariness, but he was a guy who, when he walked through the world, and when he walked with God, he didn't pray the prayer of the Pharisee, saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all these evil people. I think he prayed the prayer of the tax collector, which was, Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? See, Noah received grace from God because he learned that his good works were never going to be enough to save him from the judgment of a holy God. And therefore, he put his trust in that God. He said, Lord, I need you. His walk with God was dependent on God to save him, and God did save him. How do we know this? Because in Hebrews 11, verse 7, that we read a moment ago, it says this, By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So Noah's righteousness, that was something he received. He wasn't just a good guy, he received it. He received it as a blessing from God. And that blessing of God in his life had such powerful effect that he began to live a better life than some of his contemporaries. Do you know, being a faith man or a faith woman or a faith young person starts with you trusting God, not to treat you as your sins would deserve, but based on his great love for you. To say that you can't do it in your own strength, but to say that you need his help. But there's more to this story than simply trusting God. You know, there's something about us that if we had Noah with us here, some of us would just put him on a pedestal and say, you know, Noah, I just wish I had faith like yours. I just wish I could believe like you believe. You ever had people say that to you sometimes? I just wish I had your kind of faith. What Noah would say to us is, this is, well, you can. 
You can. This is what I did. I heard God and I did what I said. Don't ask me, don't tell me that you can't be like me. Don't play the card to say I'm not a very faith-filled kind of Christian. Ask me this, how can I get better at faith? And Noah would give you these two bits of advice. Hear God and do what he says. Let's look at this one then. So faith means hearing God. It says, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. That's to say that Noah was listening out for God. He had his satellite dish tuned in to the things of God and what God was saying. Here was a word of judgment coming on the world and Noah had his ears open to what God was saying. Romans 10:17 says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do you get faith? You hear what God is saying. Now, that's not as easy as it sounds because Jesus said, be careful how you hear. That's to say, some of us here, some of you would have had conversations and some of you here would have said to me, you know, I find it really hard to hear God. And by that, what you mean is this, I, I don't hear his voice. Jesus said the problem isn't usually hearing his voice, it's hearing it in such a way as you do something about it. So Jesus said, he who hears my word and puts it into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock and when the storms come, that house stays firm. It's hearing and putting it into practice, but be careful how you hear. Jesus tells us, says that straight after he tells the parable of the sower. And the story of the parable of the sower is about four different types of soil that struggle or have different um, abilities in terms of the word of God bearing fruit in them as it tries to grow. And it's a parable about hearing. Each one of those soils represents a kind of hearer. So there was the seed that fell on the rocky path. There was the seed that fell on, on the path, on the rocks, on, in the weeds, and on the good soil. And the word that fell on the path, Jesus said, well, that's the people who hear, but then they just let it get taken away from them. The birds come and peck it away. The enemy comes and steals the word. I don't know if you ever had that experience at church where somebody missed the service, says to you sort of about five minutes after church, so what was the message about today? And you're sort of scratching your head. Well, it, was, it was pretty, it was something important but you can't remember for the life of you what it was. Ever had that experience? I, I have. And see, just as surely as we have welcomers on the door to welcome us into church, you know, we have an enemy who wants to take the word of God that's given to us and on the way out of church just relieve us from it and say, thanks, I'll just take that until next week. How to make you ineffective as a Christian? Steal the word of God. Stop you hearing it. Or the, the seed that falls on the rocks. It doesn't take root to stop the word of God taking root in your life. To come to church or to read the Bible and say, well, you know, I'm, I love hearing this stuff, but I'm never going to change my life because it's a different kind of world than the church, isn't it? And, well, that stops the word bearing fruit. It's ineffective hearing. Well, Jesus says when the, word, when the seed falls among the weeds, and he says it gets choked by worry, Riches and pleasures. You know, sometimes people say the Bible is kind of 2,000 years out of date and uh, we have anxiety 
materialism and seeking pleasure as three things that would seek to choke out the word. That sounds highly relevant to me today. But the good crop is the soil that hears the word of God and retains it and perseveres. So our main issue isn't hearing, says Jesus, it's retention, it's nurturing, it's focusing, it's carefulness, because we tend towards forgetfulness, apathy, distraction, and carelessness. Let me ask you, have you heard, are you hearing the word of God? God says that this world isn't all there is. God says there's a life to come. God says that all of us will die and one day face judgment before a holy God. God says that God is merciful and he sent his son to save those from his judgment. God says that he's building his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And God says that he is coming again in Jesus. These are the things that we need to hear. Noah heard the word of the Lord. He let it go deeper. He got it rooted inside him. He didn't get distracted by the cares of this life. He let it bear fruit in the good soil of his heart. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. What does that look like for us? Well, I think it's word and spirit. It's word and spirit. So to hear the word of the Lord is this, is firstly to love this book, is to love the Bible. I don't know about you, I find the, the more I don't read this book, the less I love it. The more I read it, the more I love it. And this book is the most valuable possession. It's the most important book you will ever read. This book, is given to the kings and queens of England with this statement. Somebody gives it, gave it to Queen Elizabeth on her coronation saying, we give you this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. In it is the wisdom, law, and the oracles of God. And here it is, and it's yours, available for you to read. It's the word of God. I find I, I just find I have to work hard sometimes to, to keep this valued in my life. One of the reasons I bring a Bible to church with me rather than just look it up on my phone like I know a number of you would is this, that I find the more I thumb this book and the more I look through it and touch it and smell it, the more I love it. And as I'm, re as I'm listening to other people talking about the word of God, it reminds me of other things in the Bible. And so I'll start flicking to them. So when people are talking about one thing, I think, oh, that reminds me of something else that was here. So it's, a, it's an engaging experience living with the word of God in my life because I want God to speak to me. I don't want it just to wash over my head. Each morning I try and just read a few verses. I'm going through 1 Samuel at the moment. And I just, I look for one thing. I say, God, would you speak to me? And I'm looking for one thing. And I'll write down that one thing that God is speaking to me about and I'll try and put it into practice in my life and I'll ask God to help me. Let me ask you, how are you valuing the word, the written word of God? And here's the other thing, it's, it's not just word, it's word and spirit. So God speaking didn't simply stop when we got this 
finalized copy of scripture, God speaks by the Holy Spirit. He quickens us, he helps us, he leads us. He opens our eyes to things. And I'd make a guess that all of us need to grow in this area. That we want to be people who hear what God is saying in a situation. I've been listening to a few talks by Mike Pilavachi recently, who's a, a very well-known uh, preacher. And he, he's, he's pioneering a lot in this area. He, he, um, he was telling a story, which I just loved, because he said, all of this stuff's embarrassing. Part, part of the trouble with saying that you feel like you're hearing God say something is it's, it's kind of got the flesh mixed in, you don't know if it's right or wrong, so you're just having a go. And he said he was preaching one day and somebody walked into the back of the church where he was preaching and they had a time of prayer at the end and he felt God saying, just go and pray with that person. They were praying for a number of people. And a couple of people were praying for this guy they'd never met before. And as they're praying for him, Mike's asking God to, to speak into the situation and he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't have any sort of understanding. But he has this tune going round in his head and it's a really old fashion tune. It's from the 1950s. It's a song called, Won't You Come Home, Bill Bailey, Won't You Come Home. Won't you come home, Bill Bailey? Won't anyway, you probably don't know the song. But he doesn't have anything else, so he says, oh, I don't know what this means. He says, but uh, I've just got this song going round in my head, and I thought I'd say it. He says, won't you come home, Bill Bailey? Won't you come home? And the guy just breaks down, starts weeping. And he says, well, what, does that mean something to you? He says, well, my surname is Bailey. He says, and, and the story unfolds. He said, I left my wife and kids a few weeks ago because we had a big blow up in our family. And in that moment, through that silly song, God said to him, go home, Mr. Bailey, I know who you are. See, God speaks. I wonder if God wants you to grow in this area of hearing what God is saying to a particular person at a particular time. It's a challenge that God would have us grow in. And for us to be a church who are led not just by the word of God, but the spirit of God as well. Okay, so faith means trusting God. It means hearing God. And the third thing is this, it means doing. It means acting. It means being obedient to what God is saying. So it says about Noah, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. So those of us who would say, well, you know, Noah, I, I just wish I had faith like yours. He said, well, it's not just about thinking and believing something. It's about doing. It's about building. Here's the evidence of my faith. I built the world's largest boat. And this was a boat that was all about faith. Some of you here are more pragmatic than spiritual, and you kind of draw this false distinction between the two. God wants to bring those two things together. Because actually, true faith people don't just believe they do. And God wants you to be a doer. And what you'd have noticed about Noah and his generation was he was very different from all his contemporaries. Faith people look different, not in their dress sense, although a lot of them seem to wear checked shirts, not because of their odd mannerisms, although you can meet some odd Christians sometimes, 
Not because they speak in a funny kind of way, although some Christians will, but they live based on an entirely different set of priorities. They act different, they live different because of what God is saying, they live on a different value system. In Noah's day, people were doing all the stuff that people do, working, marrying, eating, drinking, having kids, falling out with other people. Noah does those things. He works and marries, he has kids, and he eats and he drinks, but his priorities change. Now his life is shaped by the word of God. And we read this phrase a couple of times in Genesis. It says, Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. He was getting ready because God's judgment was coming. Let me just make three observations about the life of action, the life of faith. First one is this, it it looks foolish to people who don't understand it. Other people in Noah's day were busy extending their houses. He was building an untransportable ark nowhere near the sea. Others were spending money on nice food or holidays or a university education, nothing wrong with any of those things. But Noah was more impressed at spending his money on materials for the world's largest boat. Think about, the boat was 150 meters long, 50 meters wide, I think 20 or 30 meters high, tons and tons of timber, buckets of bitumen. It looked foolish if you didn't believe what Noah believed. There will be times when your life just seems a bit foolish to people who don't understand your faith and what God has spoken to you about. Here's a second observation, that for Noah, the life of faith wasn't a day-to-day experience, it was a year-to-year experience. Certainly there was the day-to-day, but for him, He was thinking years, decades. How long did it take him to build a boat that big? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it was a big, big project. Decades, probably. Each year, the weather didn't change. It was still a lovely, sunny day. Each year, he looked slightly more foolish, but he kept going. He persevered. Now, this is something we understand, isn't it? We understand that the most important things in life take time. Is that right? Any of you who are married here, you understand the wedding day is just the beginning. It takes time to build a marriage, years, decades. Children take years to raise. Careers, you know when you finish university and you think, show me the money, show me the job, and you start your career, and then you realize, oh, I'm at the bottom. (laughs) I'm working my way up. See, things take time, careers take time to build. And many of you have spent years building all of these things which are wonderful things. And faith is no different. It takes years to live the faith life. And while it's true, a thief on a cross dying next to Jesus has enough faith to see him saved, for many of us the life of faith is gonna be something over decades. And we do well to plan it out. We do well to think ahead. Many of us live day-to-day faith. God wants you to think five years, 10 years, 20 years. Some of you are going off to university this year. 
And God wants you to make a plan now, not to get there and to find out, well, I don't really have any Christian friends here, but to decide now, to look at the websites, to find a church where you could go and make friends. See, faith is something that we work at and we guard and we hold dear. You know, when, um, when, Noah, when God told Noah to build the ark, he must have had a plan. He just must have done. He must have made drawings. And here's my thought. Let's say it took him five years. We don't know. I reckon year one, he probably spent felling trees and dragging them to the site he was going to build it. Year two, he started looking for bitumen supplies. Year three, maybe he started nailing bits of wood together. Year four and five, maybe he did a, a condensed degree in zoology so he could care for all the animals. We, we, we don't totally know, but what we know is this, that there must have been preparation involved. There must have been. Preparation and faith are not opposites. When you give your life to studying, to getting better, I, I reckon Noah must have watched a few YouTube videos on how to build a boat. See, he prepared, he thought, he planned, he got the information he needed to do the thing that God wanted him to do. Let me ask you, what's God asking you to do with your life? What's he putting in your heart? He doesn't call everybody to be a church leader. He might have called you to excel in your workplace, your career, in your family. Get to grips with the task God is giving you. Read everything you can. Prepare. Make a five-year plan. Why don't you get a bit of paper this week? Draw a picture of a boat at the top and then write one, two, three, four, five and make a quick plan for the next five years as to what you'd like to achieve in those times. And in doing so, you will become more of a man and woman of faith. Sometimes that building period can have highs and lows. Noah must have got sick. He must have got discouraged. Anybody who's been a Christian for any length of time know that as Christians we suffer illnesses of body and mind. We know that our worlds can get rocked through tragedy. And yet we keep building, we keep believing, we keep hearing, we keep doing. I know of friends among us who've gone through periods of dryness and, and doubt, yet they've persevered. They said, well, I'm going to keep trusting, I'm going to keep hearing, and I'm going to keep acting. It says in 1 Peter 3 that God waited patiently for Noah to build the ark. I love that statement because it says this, that God's not so busy getting on with what he wants to do that he won't wait for you. He's waiting for you to act on the faith he's putting in you, to bring about the purposes that he has planned for you and through you. Here's my third observation, final observation. And that is this, the life of faith is for a season. It's a season. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 13, all of these were still living by faith when they died. It didn't stop for Noah after the flood. He kept trusting God. 
He kept believing God. He kept hearing God. He kept doing what God wanted. But here's the reality about every faith man and woman who's walked the face of the planet. They all died at some point. And finishing well is so, so important. What defines us ultimately isn't our achievements in this life, but it's our trust in God in the face of death. The life of faith by necessity is costly, sacrificial, at times painful. And it brings us something of a relief to know that one day Jesus will relieve us from all of that pain and suffering and he'll bring us into his presence forever. Now some of us are nearer to that end point now than others. For some, the race is nearing an end as we cross the line to be with Jesus forever. And the Bible says that's ultimately a wonderful thing where we'll be at home with the Lord forever. Let me just say something that's just pastoral for our King's Church family here for a moment. If you're not part of King's, these names won't mean much to you, but they're very dear to us. Fraser and Mary are a a dear couple who have been part of us for years now. And Fraser's been very ill with cancer. And his health is deteriorating by the week. And we've been praying some great faith-filled prayers for him, for God to heal and bless and help. It actually feels that God's calling him home right now. And we're going to be, for anybody who, who knows Fraser and Mary and wants to keep praying and supporting for them, we'd love to pray for them after church today at 12.15 down in the hub. Just for 15 minutes, you're welcome to come and uh, be a part of that if you know them, or even if you don't, just come and pray. There's so much for us to pray for there. But th- this is what we feel God's saying. It's, it, it's time for Fraser to come home. The, the medics are saying they can't do anything else at this point. And... This is a sad time for Mary and for us as a church, but we're praying. We're praying and we're believing, actually, ultimately, this couple who are heroes of faith in my book. I've I've just never seen such people like them who just hold on to God throughout. And Fraser's going to finish well. I know that. So keep praying for them. And may us be like them even in the face of the end of our days to say, I trust God with whatever is to come. So let's be a people of trust. Let's be be people who lean on Jesus. Let's be people who hear what he says. Maybe today you need to make a plan to hear the word of the Lord. Maybe today you need to be making more of a plan for your next few years to decide where God is calling you.